0: Welcome to Medicus, a student-run podcast about any and all things in the world of medicine. Follow along as we interview outstanding individuals about important topics in healthcare.
1: I'm one of your co-hosts today, Brendan Connolly, a second-year medical student at Loyola Stritch School of Medicine.
2: And my name is Catherine. I'm a current M1 at Loyola.
1: Our guest today is Dr. Daniel Marshalik. He is the Medical Director of Physician well-being at MedStar Health in Washington, DC, and an Assistant Professor in the Department of Urology at Georgetown School of Medicine. He is also the Creator and Director of the Literature and Medicine track at Georgetown, and the Associate Director of the Medical Humanities Initiative. Along with his medical background, he has completed a Master's Degree in English Literature at Georgetown University, and contributes a monthly column in the Lancet Medical Journal about literature and its overlap with medicine and public health. Dr. Marshalek, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I guess it's fitting to start any conversation about literature with an easy, fun question, which is, what are you reading right now?
3: Just finished reading Elena Ferrante's The Lying Life of Adults, and we actually talked about it in the literature and medicine track two days ago.
1: Oh, very nice. Did you like it?
3: I did. It's interesting. Um, it's always interesting to read anything in translation because you're not always sure if you're reading the author or the translator, but regardless, they're both clearly amazing because it a great work.
1: Great. I'll have to put it on my list. Just to jump right into that, could you describe the program you run at Georgetown, the literature and medicine program?
3: Yeah. It's a four-year track so the way Georgetown School of Medicine is actually pretty interesting in how it's set up. it has various tracks, uh, deep dives if you will that you can pursue while you're there. The literature and medicine track is one of these five different types of tracks So you start kind of halfway through your first year and in this track you participate for all four years it includes meeting monthly to talk about various books and these are always works of fiction by the way and it's almost book club format. But then there's also a component of talking about uh, medical narratives, so things written by physicians that happens in students' third and fourth year. And there's the capstone component, so a scholarly work that does a deep dive into the intersection of medicine and the humanities. So,
1: what would you say is kind of the overall goal of the program, or like what you're hoping that students get out of it?
3: Yeah. I have I got to be honest, I think it's changed. So mm. initially, the real goal was to expose students to literature, to give them narrative competence, to make them better listeners, to make them better storytellers and receivers of stories, which obviously is, is relevant. Right. But as time has gone on, I think we've become a lot more cognizant of the fact that this, in many ways, is a well-being track. I mean, this mm. is... And we and th- and this is what we started to understand through feedback uh, from students that were saying that you know this is the thing that kept me from burning out in med school. This is the uh, yeah. this was like my space to reflect. This was my space to think through the things that I just never had time to pause for and process.
1: Right. Gotcha. So that's interesting. So it's always evolving. So I guess while we're on this topic, if you'd like, I'd love to hear about the. Um, other initiative you're involved in at Georgetown, which is the Medical Humanities Initiative.
3: Yeah, it's really exciting. It's uh, It just got approved to be a minor this year, so this is going to be the first year that we're going to have it serve as a, as a full minor, but the thing that makes it so unique, there are medical humanities programs elsewhere, um, but the thing that makes it so unique, this Georgetown program, is that it is truly cross-campus and interdisciplinary. Mm-hmm. So, We'll have a class that would have undergraduate students, medical students, and would be co-taught by somebody from the medical campus and somebody from the main campus, the college. I'll give you an example. Um, I taught a course about medical nonfiction, right? And we had people from the English department come and talk about the literary perspective of things, but we had a physician come and talk about data as, Mm. as narrative. Talking about big data, talking about graphs, the way that we, in, the way that you can um, derive narratives from scientific papers. So really thinking about this through an interdisciplinary lens, yeah. and of course the perspectives are so interesting because you have a third year and a second year medical student talking to a sophomore and a junior in college, right? And and what we also saw is that these are not English majors. And most of them were not pre-meds. We had science majors, math majors, computer science majors, you know, Spanish majors. We had a, a huge kind of vast representation of the college.
1: Yeah. Interesting. So I imagine it's just an interesting perspective for everyone involved, no matter where they're at, whether they're pursuing medicine or not
3: yeah i think so it's um so the initiative is being directed by lakshmi krishnan who is a brilliant scholar she is a physician and um, a medical historian and uh, when lakshmi and i were talking about this we we basically approached it with this what type of program did we both wish we had when we were undergrads mm. and we went yeah. from there yeah very nice
2: So circling back to the literature and medicine track, what is the curriculum like for the students over the four years? How does that cut? Is it the same or does it evolve as you go on?
3: So it evolves a little bit. All four years you have the literature and medicine component, the kind of book club in air quotes component where we come together for about an hour and a half, two hours and talk about different books. But in the clinical years, the students start to do these, the medical narratives, um, medical humanities, lecture hours. Basically, their uh, noontime lectures, where uh, hosted through the Department of Medicine, where they discuss works by physician writers. So mm. uh, while we might be reading Alana Ferrante in in my aspect with, with the literature and medicine piece, the medical narratives piece will, will have articles by Tull Gawande, for example, or Jerome Krugman. Yeah. So it's a slightly kind of a different perspective on how, on what medicine, literature and medicine can look like. And then of course there's the scholarly project of Capstone and that occurs generally for students in their clinical years.
1: Yeah. So I guess just sort of a basic question, like what are some of the books that your students read I know you mentioned it's it's mostly works of fiction and how how is it decided you know what what books or what readings are going to be on the curriculum
3: you know I'm I'm always asked this question and I need to come up with a better answer because (laughs) I don't sound good when I say it because it you know I pick them and uh, yeah. there are some, some democratic process for the later books, so the, the last couple in that for each year, but generally speaking, I put the syllabus together. There is a pretty simple formula. I look at books that are winning prizes, and it sounds superficial when I first say it, right? So looking at who, what books are shortlisted for the Pulitzer or the National Book Award or the Booker? But when you kind of step back and think about it, most students in medical school are only going to read these eight books a year. right? That's going to be all the reading they're going to do. And if you're only going to read eight books a year, I want these to be the types of books that allow you to be in conversation with others who are reading. So Mm -hmm. when you're sitting in your car and you're listening to like a, a, a short review of a book on NPR or you're reading something on the news, being able to engage in conversation with that because you've read it too is important. Yeah. And, and so this allows you to participate in conversations outside of medicine in, in a pretty meaningful way. And where I guess our only criteria is that we don't do books about medicine because they get yeah. plenty of medicine in med school.
1: Right. don't want to burn them out with too much, too much medicine.
3: (laughs) But also like, do they really need to talk about more medicine in the evenings? Probably not. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So sort of sticking with the literature and medicine track, have you noticed that, you know, students who've graduated from the track, do they tend towards any specialties or clinical practices or is, is it hard to pin down?
3: Yeah, not at all. Um, it's okay. all over the place, yeah, which, is, which is interesting, right? Because you probably, we all have our preconceived notions and presuppositions of what a typical student who does literature and medicine does or would go into, but we're all wrong. For example, I'm a urologist, right? right. <laughs> and I'm a urologist doing literature and medicine. I think that the reason why we see a lot more internal medicine physicians doing this work is because there are a lot more internal medicine physicians. There are a big cross-section of medicine. Yeah. But I would say our graduating class from literature and medicine tends to be very representative of a normal graduating class from a med school. All
1: right, interesting. So if any of your students, you know, after going through the program, continue to explore literature and, you know, its links to medicine in their own professional lives?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably... One of the really cool things about the track is a lot of students go on and then they open up their own programs or start their mm. own book clubs, even if it's not something formal, even if it's not like a formal elective or a track, um, right. they'll start a book club in residency uh, or something like this. And for this reason, we actually have our fourth year students run The literature medicine meetings so we'll we'll rotate but we it basically prepares them for being able to do this the next year whenever wherever they go to, to train
1: right very nice so kind of stepping back when did you start to become interested in this concept of the crossover between literature and medicine
3: yeah i mean i was a i was an english major in college and if you were to ask me what was i more sure of doing literature or medicine I couldn't tell you you know mm-hmm. I kind of always figured I'll go uh, I, I want to be a doctor my mom's a doctor my grandma and my grandpa are doctors right so I've, I've always been exposed to it and I've always thought it was fascinating but I also always loved books and so for me there wasn't ever a literature or a medicine without the other per se so I always kind of planned on I think doing both I just wasn't sure what that would look like um, right so in college I majored in English I uh, did my thesis on illness narratives the most I had the most incredible thesis advisor and mentor who's still my mentor and Jurassic at Rutgers and uh, when I went to med school I started a literature and medicine elective which is still going strong at Robert Wood Johnson and I um, I kind of always w- wanted to see that intersection play out. It just felt like a lot more was happening in that liminal space than than in either discipline on its own. Yeah.
2: So you had mentioned a little bit about how you found a mentor in undergrad, and that was an important part in shaping your interest in combining these these two fields, but. In addition to that, how did you develop your skills as a writer and are there any particular pieces of writing that have influenced your practice either in medicine or just as a writer in general?
3: That's a, that's a good question. I don't know if I have a great answer for a method for starting to write other than writing, right? I, being an English major helped going to grad school for literature helped. The more you write, the more it's the mechanics start to make sense, and your voice starts to develop right so I think the the only real recipe for writing is writing. What was your other question?
2: If you've had any particular works or like styles of writing that have just really
3: resonated with you, I mean, I have favorite books and favorite writers, but you know the whole I think anybody. Whose writing is that impactful can't really be emulated. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, 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 that's kind of a part of, of, of the secret sauce, right? I certainly have writers that I look to and I say, wow, this is why I'm never going to write fiction because <laughs> I just can't write at that level. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think I've been there before too, or I'll read a book and say man i could spend my entire life trying to write a novel and never produce something <laughs>
3: quite or, or, or a paragraph right like you read <laughs> one paragraph of something that's perfect and you just say eh, i might as well not try
1: <laughs> right just leave it to the pros <laughs> exactly i imagine you haven't really had too many critics or anything when you've put this together but I do always just like to ask, like, what's why is this important? And like why, why does like exploring this, the links between humanities and medicine matter? I imagine there's some people out there, not many, but some who would say, hey, we should stick to you know hard science, to lab work, to, you know, that kind of data in our medical practice. But you know, yeah. I would obviously push back on that. And I imagine you would too.
3: It's interesting that you frame it this way. If you were to ask me this question five years ago, you'd say a lot of people would push back against the notion of literature and medicine. And if you were to ask me this question 10 years ago, you would say, literature and medicine? Why? <laughs> so I think this is a real testament to how much the field has changed and evolved in a really mm. positive way. I mean, if you were to look for places that are doing medical humanities or literature and medicine a decade ago, you could probably find the handful that were doing it and and, and know exactly who they are. Now, if you're not doing literature and medicine, you're kind of or medical humanities, you're you're, you're behind the back, right. right? Like everyone else is. Everyone else is doing it. This is new and exciting. Why? I think there are a lot of reasons. I, uh, I think both fields are, first of all, I think in general, interdisciplinarity is important. Like there's so much discovery that happens when you take the expertise and the histories and the experiences of various fields and you put them together. And that's true for everything. It's not just literature and medicine, right? That's like why you want to put a musician in a, you know, strength theorists in the room together because they're gonna discover something beautiful. Right. Right. Like <laughs> but for this marriage in particular, I think that there is something special. I think the roots of medicine are kind of in poetry, right? Like they the original physicians were decipherers of dreams, right? They mm. were the storytellers, they were the receivers of stories. And I think similarly, there is a a huge tradition of writers who were scientists and who were doctors. That tradition, this didn't start in the 21st century, obviously. The reason I think that that's the case is because medicine is as close as you get to seeing the human condition. Yeah. Right? Like you, you, you're face to face with it all the time. You're seeing people at on their best days, their worst days, when you give them the best news they could ever get when you're watching their lives and their families fall apart. And literature is the exploration of the human condition. That is what literature is. Yeah. And so I think when you have this front seat to humanity it's uh, it, being able to write about it, being able to read about it. It just makes all of those experiences richer. So I I, I think that's a that, that's kind of a thirty thousand foot view. And on a on a on and a if you look at it with a magnifying glass, I just think that being more well-rounded counts. Yeah, and I think. Being better at understanding nuance, like narrative nuance, tensions in narratives, um, thinking about word choices critically, both your own and the ones that you're hearing from others, it just makes you better at doing the very core things of medicine, which is taking a history. Right. You just, just those. That's the mechanics of narrative.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
2: Just while we're on this topic too, I was kind of wondering, because you were mentioning how even our perspective of medicine and like medical humanities has evolved in the past 10 years. When you were going through your medical training previously, how was the patient history framed to you? Do you think like now we pay more attention to the story and the whole human than before, or do you think that's uh, me overanalyzing what you were just talking about?
3: Yeah, I don't think that we've moved away from our, you know, OPQRS, the onset, the precipitating factors, the quality of whatever the complaint is. I think we still we still do this. And, and there's a good reason to, because there we have algorithms in our head that help us kind of compartmentalize what different things mean. So... I don't. So the way we teach a history, I don't think has changed. I mean, it's why they call it the art of medicine, right? It's not just <laughs> the prescriptive part that you're taught that that people employ in their day-to-day practice, right? It's a lot of it is like what happens in the spaces in between when you ask about the onset of pain and the review of systems. It's like the the, the very, very generally speaking, human connection that you form. And I don't know if reading makes you inherently better or worse at it. Um, <laughs> I just, I'd like to believe that it does, but I don't know. I think that there's probably a huge selection bias whenever we try to study it because people who love narratives or people who look for those narratives when they talk to others, like people who love stories are going to look for stories when they talk to their patients. And so obviously they're going to form a, like a closer bond. I don't know if that makes them better diagnosticians. I don't know if I'm if I'm better at treating kidney stones because I read. I know that I feel more fulfilled as a human. I think that counts. Right.
2: And how would you encourage like students and medical professionals who don't have a program like there, there is at Georgetown or access to the formal coursework to explore the medical humanities you had talked a little bit about book clubs and stuff like that
3: yeah I think there's like a. I think there's so many good outlets um one is read just (laughs) devour books pick them up read them put them on your schedule read another is follow along with a book club there's online book clubs there's certainly book clubs in the community outside of med schools I would actually encourage people to do that. I think it's nice to branch out outside of the kind of very, very insulated community that uh, medical classes form,
1: <laughs> right?
3: Kind of out of some, some, somewhat out of necessity, somewhat out of desperation, <laughs> somewhat out of just the logistics of, of going through med school. But i I think that I think that that's always a positive. Start a book club. I mean, I. As, as a first your message i was like is anybody interested in talking about books and you'd be surprised at how many people say yeah i am <laughs> interested in doing something like that especially if you come to the first one with a case of wine all of a sudden everybody will realize that this is in fact what they want to do with their life and then you're off to a good start but i mean there's it, it also just depends on i think it's not just it's not just literature right it's it's the gradual attrition of other hobbies that occur in that school that is so tragic like literature and medicine is awesome history and medicine is great philosophy and medicine is amazing art and medicine is beautiful food and medicine is fantastic so if you love to cook cook take it seriously spend time on it put it on your calendar carve out two hours Every third day of the week to do this to think, do it seriously. If you love history, keep reading history. Listen to history podcasts. Literature is one form of interdisciplinarity for medicine. There's there's a lot of them. There are a lot of them. So I, I think it makes um, you just gotta not jettison your hobbies too soon, even though I think medical education tends to tell you oh please stick to your hobbies but at the same time kind of makes it impossible for you to do so
1: (laughs) right well I was kind of telling before we started this uh you know I went on like a reading tear right before med school started because I you know I sort of was hearing the buzz from people ahead of me saying hey you're never gonna have time to watch a movie again or read a book again so I was like all right well I gotta read everything I can right now Um, but fortunately that sort of you know, when you do that, it instills it as a habit, but like, Oh, this is how I end my day. You know, I'm going to read for 15 minutes until I fall asleep or sit down yeah. for 10 minutes after I finish class, just to unwind or something. And, uh, so I'm just one person, but I can definitely encourage anyone listening that, you know, it is possible. And I do find it very beneficial to keep pursuing hobbies outside of, outside of classes too.
3: What are you reading right now? Uh,
1: right now I'm reading The Big Sleep by Raymond Chandler and uh, so kind of classic noir and that's in a book club with my brother and a couple other friends so kind of oh, what okay. you're yeah kind of what you're just talking about.
3: Um, yeah no that that that's really great and you know it's what what's really bizarre is um, we've we've done a couple of studies on this like not, not with the literature medicine track, but we're just random groups, urology yeah. residents, palliative care providers, just studying, taking as a side, like this is not even the primary outcome measure, but just looking at whether or not um, reading works of fiction regularly decreases your risk of burnout. And every time we've looked at it, the answer has been yes, it does. Yeah. So I'd say Keep reading because uh, obviously i'm pretty invested in, in this topic but burnout's an issue and if this is a tool to mitigate it that you can employ then do it
1: yeah yeah absolutely
2: we're both kind of curious um just because this was our first exposure to the lancet how you chose it as a platform to explore the medical humanities and what drew you to it
3: the Lancet has an unbelievable rich history of, of um, engaging in and supporting the medical humanities. And so I I think I just got very lucky. I really wanted to explore this intersection. And the editor with whom I work on on, the, on this column is an, an amazing reader and thinker and has a, a really great vision for this column. And so it just kind of organically evolved into what it is now. And um, it's it's been an absolute blast.
1: Yeah, um, very nice. We were able to read some of your articles, um, you know, in preparation for this interview. So enjoy doing that. Oh,
3: that's great, oh, thanks.
1: Yeah. So when you aren't in the process of writing an article for publication or um, coming up with a curriculum, anything like that, How do you take time to reflect on your medical practice kind of through this lens that we're talking about? I'm just wondering, like, do you keep a journal? Do you meditate? Are there other things that you you want to reflect on?
3: I don't keep a journal. I do not meditate. Um, I probably do a very poor job of reflecting (laughs) overall. (laughs) I run a lot and I run without headphones. So I really love the kind of consistent methodical sound of footsteps and it i think that's probably my running meditation if that's a thing yeah. um but it, you just kind of shut off for an hour and i think that that would be probably my time of quiet and reprocessing but no i i i, I don't um i don't don't give a journal <laughs> gotcha. although i kind of wish i did for the past year right like, nobody's gonna believe like 20 years from now I'll try to explain this to someone they're never gonna believe you that 2020 happened
1: right i know for sure it's gonna be just one of those kind of landmark landmark moments in anyone's life i think is the year 2020 yeah so. but i feel
3: like in 20 years we're not gonna believe that it happened we exa- <laughs> probably exaggerated all this. <laughs> that, that that couldn't have all been in like one day in november right you know it was
1: yeah, yeah, it is for sure. Right. Still, yeah. still, still things going on. Absolutely. So I think everything that we've kind of talked about goes hand in hand with this next question. I know you've spent some time studying physician burnout and like burnout in medicine. And so I'm just wondering what the crossover is between your work with literature and medicine, and then your work with physician burnout. And I know we've touched on a lot of these kind of topics yeah. or examples already.
3: I, I I alluded to it. I mean, we've done a couple of studies on it now. Um in like I said, in urology trainees in America, urology trainees in Europe, palliative care providers. We've looked at a bunch of cohorts and it always seems to be the case that reading is preventative against burnout. Now, I for me I would call this a serendipitous overlap. I, I didn't go into literature with the intention of fixing a burnout issue. And I wasn't interested in trying to fix burnout in medicine because I was interested in literature. But I do think that the things that kind of push us towards this type of work has a natural overlap. And so I think we, we we need to dig deeper to figure out where this overlap comes from and why it exists some of it's probably self-care, some of it's probably a moment to reflect. I think some of it is escapism, the ability to inhabit another world for certain periods of time. Some of it is perspective shifting and being able to understand um, the perspectives outside of your own life, which in fact gives you perspective, which helps obviously but yeah i don't know i don't know why but um uh, but i'm really glad they the overlap exists
1: yeah well i think katie and i can definitely speak just from our own experience one to two years of medical education that uh, burnout is a huge topic i mean it comes up a lot for us anyway and i imagine it does for your students at georgetown and other med students all across the country it seems like we, and I say we as the medical community, is just starting to have a greater understanding of burnout's role in someone's life and how it can affect both your personal life and your practice. So, definitely think it's something to keep exploring and keep trying to combat.
3: But also something to celebrate that we are talking about it more. That right. too signals a shift, mm-hmm. a monumental shift that yeah. we think it's okay for us to talk about burnout, that it's okay for us to talk about depression, that it's okay for us to talk about having to take time off or process or grieve or any of these things. It wasn't okay for us in medicine to do this for a long time. I think we've had a, a, a series of barriers and stigmas and uh, it, I, it's a cause for celebration that we feel more comfortable having these conversations now.
1: Right, definitely keep pushing forward on, on that topic.
2: Our last question for you is about why you were drawn to Georgetown and maybe D.C. in general.
3: Hmm. Um, So I was drawn to Georgetown. I I trained there for urology. And this is like this is my advice for anybody who is interviewing and, and going through the match process. And I know I can't give this advice this year because it's just not a typical year. But meet the residents and think about that very, very critically. Because when I, when, when I was going around and I didn't go on interviews anywhere where I couldn't go to the dinner before or after to to meet the, the other residents and figure out who are the people that I'm going to spend, you know, five years of my life with the majority of those five years of my life. (laughs) And there, I, loved the people that I met when I interviewed at Georgetown. And that was it. I mean, I just thought that this was a perfect fit for me. That and DC is like the best city in America. So those okay. two things together. Right. Yeah, well, that,
1: that's all you need, I guess.
3: That's all you need.
1: <laughs> um, well, Dr. Marshall, thank you so much. It's been a very enlightening conversation, something that um, we feel you know, very interested in ourselves. And we're excited to explore a little bit more And, uh, just really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today.
3: Thanks for having me on.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. This wouldn't be possible without the support from our listeners. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate donations to help fund the production of this podcast. To support us, go to medicuspodcast.com, where you can additionally find show notes, links, and information about our guests. We are at Medicus Podcasts on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any questions, comments, or episode suggestions, please submit them on our website. This podcast is intended for general information purposes only and does not constitute the practice of medicine. No patient-doctor relation is formed, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Views and opinions are their own and do not represent any organization.